Welcome to the podcast in search of the perfect movie soundtrack. When the movie needs the soundtrack as much as the soundtrack needs the movie. I'm Joshua Weber. I'm Heather Samples. And I'm Matt Lombardi. (laughs) Join us this week as we blast into the future to a 21st century of iPods and Kevin Spacey to discover what in these intervening decades has become of our precious soundtracks, to learn what strange and unknowable music these future humans are robbing banks to. So here's the thing. I'm looking at some of the country's finest thugs, and of course, young Mozart in a go-kart over there. People love great bank robbery stories, so let's give them something bold and brazen as to talk about over their lattes. That's some Oscar shit right there. You're damn right. 2017, Baby Driver, directed by Edgar Wright, who had previously made mostly comedies like Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. It's a car chase heist movie that features uh, the soundtrack very prominently. And in fact, a large part of the reason that Edgar Wright wanted to make it was because of the soundtrack. He said that he had been thinking about these songs for 22 years and figuring out ways of um, using particular songs to certain scenes and syncopating the rhythm of the song with the action and how difficult that was. And so it seems like it was a real passion project, but I picked it because I thought we were a little bit stuck. You know, you guys agree? What were we stuck on? Like the eighties, the nineties, like a little, I feel like we were very much within like a a 10, maybe even less, like maybe even eight year window or something like that. It's fun to you do. You wanted to br- bring us into the contemporary. It's fun to do age. something contemporary. I agree. Well, that was the, <laughs> that was the goal, right? Is that I thought, like, oh yeah, like we'll do something recent, um, be- and see where we ended up. But it was only after I chose it that I started thinking about the soundtrack and thinking about the songs that I liked the most on it, and realizing that I had they're all they're from all the from past. The 70s. <laughs> <laughs> or, or even the mid-90s, which is right where we were before. So um, probably worthwhile to catch up on a little bit of what we're talking about here. The star of this movie is, uh, I mean, I'm assuming that people who have are listening to this have probably seen it. So I'm going to do this really quick. But um, the star of this movie is a, a young man named Baby who drives a getaway car in heist. And while he does that, he listens to music on his iPods that uh, inspire him to drive better. Um, Is there anything that I need to add to that that is important to the essential plot? Yes, the tinnitus. The reason why Baby listens to this music is to drown out his tinnitus, which is the physiological trauma of having been in the car accident that killed his parents, Um, which I think is is actually sounds like it's not important to the plot but is actually important to the plot uh because the music is not just his tool for doing the job well it's his tool for surviving that aspect of the movie was pretty heavy-handed for me the, it's all the, heavy-handed the, the, this movie. the origin the origin story aspect reminded me of batman right like you know you totally. see your your you see the pearls hit the ground outside the movie theater and you have to dedicate your life to fighting crime like the movie is really careful about make putting all the things in place right that uh spoiler alert uh that before he was a little kid his mom dies in a car wreck and he and like he's listening to music while it happens like all of the little boxes are being checked to create like it's like if you were in a lab and you were like how do i create the perfect getaway driver um who really you know would drive to music or whatever well you one part car wreck dead mom you know whatever well edgar spent 22 years constructing this so it figures it would feel like it's lab created well there's there's no it's definitely stripped down to it seems in parts there's no natural characterization at all it's either kevin spacey speed talking explaining the kid's life to people while he's sitting there or these kind of really dramatic flashback scenes where it's like a car is gonna smash it his mom's unhappy. What you know? It's and they just show, um, just kind of these really dramatic snippets, and they're like, "Okay, do you have the backstory? Do you have his character? We just want to get to the cool music and heists." And eventually, the the part of the plot that drives it is he has to escape this world, you know, and you're rooting for him to get out.
why the movie feels so cartoonish in that way is because it's actually a musical in dis- semi-disguise. Definitely and is, musicals yes. suck. The musical aspect hit me a lot harder <laughs> watching it the second time than it did the first time I saw it. And I think it's partially because I also recently saw West Side Story and he stars uh, the, the guy who plays Baby, whose name I can't pronounce. Ansel uh, Elgort. Thank you. He, uh, he stars in West Side Story as, as well. So once I saw him dancing and behaving the way he does, which is incredibly unrealistic um, in you know our world, and re- realized, okay, no, no, this is operating like a musical does. People, people act differently than they do in the real world. I'm going to push back on that. I mean, all of the scenes are choreographed, literally. Like the actors were wearing earpieces while they were, re- while they were filming. But I don't... I don't agree that the way he acts is no one does that. Cause my brother is one of those people. My brother is like a weird tapping person. He was the drummer in an old band of mine and he just will put on headphones and you watch him walk off and he's like tapping his leg, doing a little dance and he just gets like lost in it. And his favorite thing is to do is put on headphones, walk around the city. And I would accuse everyone of doing that when they're driving and you're in the zone and the song comes on and you're grabbing the steering wheel or you're banging the ceiling and I was relating to, to him doing that. No, am I? Uh, you guys don't agree. I feel like also living in a city does that. To I me don't too. think that I would say there's much about baby I find relatable. Oh, really? Sorry about that. You ever you ever put on a song and you're like late for work and you're walking down the the sidewalk and you're kind of just moving to the song and dodging people and jumping over stuff and the light changes at the right time and you're. I thought. He just powered a movie on that energy that everyone knows is headphone energy. Uh, yeah, I, I, I see what you're talking about. I just, I don't think that that you or your brother looks like Baby does when he's doing it. I mean, he's, Baby is, is definitely performing. Well, yeah, it's exaggerated because it's a movie. I mean, everything's exaggerated in the movie. It's very exaggerated, yeah. But it's exaggerated like a musical. It's like people don't actually stop and... um sing songs in the middle of the street. But also, I don't know that I want to see a baby wa- walking around the streets. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll say that I, I I find this movie charming in a lot of ways. I kind of I kind of get surprised by how often I'm sort of charmed by it because there's a lot of things that are very, very cheesy. The backstory and stuff is just like, okay, we get it. But then like something happens and I'm like, I'm laughing, I'm having fun. It, it's fun. I'm having a good time in it. And But at the same time, baby is pretty annoying to me. Like, that that opening sequence of him in the car before the car chase starts and then him walking with the coffees i i don't know if i don't love the actor or if i don't love the character but i didn't love him in west side story either but i guess he's a he's like he's a musical theater guy so you know that's not my thing but he seems good at that yeah but i this is the musical i can tolerate i can't tolerate new musicals but i can watch singing in the rain and be like i love that movie but new stuff, it doesn't work. And when Baby is doing his uh, his coffee run, his intern gets the coffee run, uh, it is like no more than one step removed from Singing in the Rain. Yes. It looks the same to me. And in fact, it looked, yeah. it looked like West Side Story, which is, you know, which is a compliment. I mean, it looked like a really good director was making a musical. Yeah, there are certainly worse, worse filmic yeah. fates. <laughs> you move to the left. This is sort of an interesting thing, um, a little bit of trivia in this movie, but I think to our purposes is actually worth exploring a little bit. This movie was coming out right around the same time of Guardi- as Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Yes. Now, the reason Guardians of the Galaxy is called Volume 2, and I, I believe it is, right? I, I'd have to double check that, but I think it is literally called Volume 2. Is, well, um, there are two of them, aren't there? Well, yeah, but it's not called Part 2, I think. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's called Part 2. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. of the mixtape thing. The reason is, is because, because Guardians of the Galaxy, like this, is centered around the main character listening to and a mixtape. And, and there's a dead mom connection. Oh, yeah, you're right. A dead and mom mixtape again. Apparently, Edgar Wright, around the time this movie was coming out and was in production, called the director of Guardians of the Galaxy, who I believe is James Gunn, to ask to make sure that they weren't going to have any crossover songs. 
that their songs were, you know, that they were each going to have different lists. And I think that's interesting because it says that like here in 2017, we're at this point where these major motion pictures are getting made with very similar soundtrack ideas. They're borrowing from the same catalogs. They're enough that they're worried about it, that they're going to, you know, have repeats and they don't want repeats. And also that the movies are centered around the character listening to the songs that we, the audience, are hearing. So it seems like a weird place that soundtracks ended up there, that that's, that synchronicity is, is pretty weird. Yeah, that's interesting. It's especially interesting because the mixtape are the, in both of those movies are, like the, the whole origin story is all about how the dead mom put the hero on his path. Yeah. Put the anti-hero on his path, in fact. With their mixtapes. And they both have foster dads. That Yeah, that's true, too. Guardians of the Galaxy and Baby Driver were both hugely successful soundtracks. Baby Driver what, went to number one on the UK soundtrack albums list. Uh, number four in the US. How do they count that now? Number th- Downloads or sales? I don't know. This is Billboard. US uh, and, the t- and the rock albums, it was number three and in the US for rock albums. Um, it's like in the That's top like 20 for rock albums on the year or something like that as well. Um, these, are, these are big successful soundtracks. And so it's interesting that the soundtrack seems to be doing pretty well at this point in soundtrack history, but it's also um, just a greatest hits of old music. That the soundtrack f- yeah. from the that we've looked at before, where there's music that is being featured that is new, is not happening in either of these, and that's not what these are about. No, um, and that's sort of an interesting thing as well. Totally. All right. So there's 30 songs on this soundtrack, and what's interesting about this soundtrack in that regard is that there there's a lot of them that are prominently featured. It's a movie that's full of music. It plays almost the entire movie. Um, and it's notable when it doesn't because it's usually a moment when baby's uh, earplugs have uh, come out or, uh, you know, that, that the movie's trying to make a point of the fact that there's no music at that moment. So when thinking about, like, what songs stand out, I don't know. It seemed like kind of a tough question to me because there's a bunch to choose from. But I am curious to hear what you think so heather what song or scene um or however you want to look at it uh was seemed important to you or interesting you know i found this exercise of us choosing a song that kind of stood out to us or a moment that has a song that stands out to us really hard for this movie and i thought about why i found it so hard quite a bit uh I don't like it when I can't answer something. And I couldn't (laughs) figure out why I was struggling so much to find a song. Usually it's really easy. Um, I had the same problem, Heather. I agree. Yeah, I think all of us did. And and I think that that's a testament to how good a job Edgar Wright does after 22 years of marinating in his own choices (laughs) about it. Because the music really is very deeply integrated into the movie viewing experience in a way that I think I had eventually hypothesized was like, it was hard for me to tease the two back apart in order to choose one one movie. uh, Sorry, one song. I get that. Um, So what I ended up doing was then thinking about, well, if I look at the songs relatively, like these 30 freaking songs, what what moment is least like the others? Mm. And, mm. and that is how uh, I ended up choosing Hocus Pocus by Focus, <laughs> which is... You just wanted to say that. I want, I'm going to say it uh, so many times. <laughs> yeah, I can tell you're enjoying that. <laughs> I've enjoyed typing it. I've enjoyed uh, saying it to myself. Yes. Hocus Pocus is a song by the band Focus. It is the song that is playing when our getaway driver is engaged in a foot chase. And it is one of the very few songs on the whole list of 30 that is instrumental. And 
I think that that's maybe why it ended up standing out to me is like it's it's invert that scene is inverting as much as this uh, movie is capable of it is inverting all of our expectations. The driver is engaged in a foot chase. He's without a car. Um, the song does not say the name baby or the name Deborah or any of the other like cues to pay attention to lyrics that we get throughout the rest of the movie. Um, so what it the fuck is Hocus Pocus by Focus? It is a prog rock <laughs> song from 1971 from some Dutch freaks who <laughs> I would argue like almost no one who is. I got a even, Focus album on vinyl. Do, do you, you really? really? Yeah. You know, it wow. was. Oh my gosh. Yeah, from in college. I don't okay. think I'd ever heard well, of him before. Uh, yeah. Props, Matt. Like that's prog a. Prog rock. It was, <laughs> it was a friend. Uh, doesn't matter. Well, Colby, just, Colby Hamilton gave it to me. You guys know him. He's like a crazy music dude. Oh, you know what? It kind of tracks that Colby would have a focus album. Um, yeah. I, I uh, yeah. Anyway, I really like that scene. I like this scene because uh, Ansel Elgort is doing like the Ansel Elgort version of like parkour. Yes. And, yeah, I see that. And, and it's, <laughs> it, and it's like really uh, like acrobatic and fun to watch. Um, and he doesn't have the armor of the car, so it's just his like lanky body engaging with the space around him in this way that is like super fun. Also, it's insane. I mean, he's he's got police helicopters chasing him, and yet he's still winning. You see him um, in that chase making choices yeah. like he does with the car, though, which I think is kind of fun. You see how he like he, how he yeah. uses the environment, like he he totally. he sees things yeah. and picks them up really quickly and sees shortcuts and like his yeah. run is like he's driving. And I think that I thought that's pretty cool. Spin move on a clothing rack and then he's wearing the jacket. Totally. It's yes. It's just a fun scene. And then so I went back uh, and I was like, okay, well, let me let, let me listen to Hocus Pocus by the band Focus a few times. And, wow. Uh, oh, man. And really like <laughs> that's that's impressive. And see what this song is like divorced from the movie. And because it's prog rock, it's like a seven minute song. So it's a short prog rock song. <laughs> Yeah, totally. It's it's like a, a quick clip, um, and it's it's really sounds amazing. It's it's well worth a listen. I I recommend the song Hocus Pocus by the band Focus. Um, <laughs> I, and here and here's something else I learned in listening to it on its own. It has moments of not just yodeling, but <laughs> efing. Do you guys what? know what efing is? No. How do you spell it? E e f i n g. Uh, no. No. Okay, so <laughs> efing is really a strange phenomenon. Efing is like a, a traditional Appalachian form of beatbox, sort of. Huh. Okay, so it started maybe, I don't know, I want to say like early 1900s. It was mostly a Tennessee phenomenon. Do we have Heather's history corner right sounds now? Sounds like we got Professor Heather. Well, we kind of, we kind of, we kind of do. Um, Bring it. It was mostly a Tennessee phenomenon, but then it was really popularized on Hee Haw. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I used to watch with my mama. Heather, I'm going to cancel you right now to say that Hee Haw invented beatboxing. <laughs> I did not say Hee Haw invented beatboxing. I love it. I love it. I love it. No. Tweet it. I'm, I'm, so in, I'm protesting this, this episode right now. So, uh... I grew up in West Virginia, as Matt and Joshua know, but maybe our listeners haven't been treated to that tidbit yet. Um, the beatboxing capital of the world, and and I and I watched a lot of Hee Haw, and uh, <laughs> and one of one of the um, and one of the characters on Hee Haw, uh, Jimmy Riddle, is really he's really good at efing, and and there were a lot of efing segments on Hee Haw that I watched as a kid, and you should check it out. It kind oh, of I'm sounds in. I can't like wait. It, it kind of sounds like. Um, like hiccuping sort of or or like it's kind of airier and like wispy or almost like like maybe a little bit of like your dad's sleep apnea too there's like some <laughs> to it <laughs> you're selling me i'll tell you that <laughs> Well, now that's Ethan. <laughs> it is a really fringe, strange American phenomenon from a very particular part of the world, and somehow 
the band Focus put it in their song Hocus Pocus in 1971 alongside also some yodeling. And I wow. I really recommend checking the whole thing out. Fringe no more. We are bringing it to the forefront. Yeah, e was... will sweep the world now. Thanks to us. Thanks to you, Heather. Professor Heather. <laughs> that was really effing interesting. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I thought that was Don't funny. step on my last line, Josh. <laughs> <laughs> I find this movie to be like really great popcorn movie. I would agree with that. It's the kind of movie that it's really hard not to spend 90 minutes enjoying, almost no matter who's in the room. I just think that it must have been so much fun for them. You know, especially somebody like John Hamm and somebody like Jamie Foxx, you know, who are considered like good actors and, you know, asked to play like a lot of serious roles. And it's just like, man, you're going to have tattoos. You're going to be a cartoon. You're going to say these crazy lines. And it just seems like it must have been an absolute blast. Yeah. It looks like it was fun for them, even when they are projecting like rage and violence. You can almost still see that the actors themselves are having having quite a lot of fun doing I mean, except for Kevin Spacey. Okay, so maybe Kevin Spacey doesn't please everybody in the room. But except for him, I mean, this is a really good-looking cast. And so I'm wondering, like, who do you think is the hottest person in this movie? We have John Hamm. I love John Hamm. We have uh, Jamie Foxx. I also love Jamie Foxx. I think Jamie Foxx is like kind of amazingly brilliant. I could not keep a straight face watching Jamie Foxx. I think this, I think this is great. by far one of my favorite Jamie Foxx roles. And I mean, it might be my favorite. But he's like, he's, he's so good great. in it. He's committing so hard, but I'm just like smiling the whole time. I'm being like, yeah, so is he. Yeah. yeah. I also left off Isa Gonzalez, who I'm not very familiar with, but she has a very prominent role as John Hamm's girlfriend and one of the bank robbers um, and the sex pot the, you know, that, you, you, that you've got to have in this crew. Yeah. Who, who am I forgetting here? I'm... Uh, we've got Lily James as the love interest. Lily James, of course. Um, yes, I know who I was going to mention is John Bernthal. Uh-huh. Uh, Wait, who's John Bernthal? He's... John Bernthal is one of the guys... Oh, the first mean guy. Yeah. His name was Griff. I looked it up. Yes. There's... he. He's the mean guy, and then and then Jamie Foxx is like the meaner mean guy. But I think that the... Joshua, did you phrase it as the sexiest person? I said the hottest, but the you hottest know, hey, person. if you want to answer with sexy, that's fine. <laughs> I mean, I think those that's two fine. things are different. I they, think are, that, they are. They <laughs> are. Um, Do you want to separate... <laughs> And sexy. I, I think that uh, <laughs> give us your give us your rundown. Objectify this cast. <laughs> <laughs> I think that Lily James doing her uh, Shelley Johnson played by Madchen Amick in Twin Peaks impression is maybe one of the hottest uh, characters in the in the movie. Oh my god, Heather! I could not figure out what part of my brain she was tapping, and it was fucking Twin Peaks. It's fucking Twin Peaks, man. The waitress in Twin Peaks. I could not figure that out. Yeah, she does look a lot like her, and I hadn't thought about that till you say it. But now that you say it, it's incredible. Her outfit is the same. The actually. outfit is the same. The, yep. the way that like w- that. That we like gaze into her eyes is the same way that oh, David yeah. Lynch yes. had us hair. gazing into Machinomics' eyes. I um, would not be surprised if that is a direct influence. Totally, I've seen a lot of Twin Peaks. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> well, you nailed that. One. And that's and that's who I think is the hottest, but the sexiest is is Jamie Fox. <laughs> do you do you want to expand on that? No, no, I'm good. I think I I don't think I have. I don't think I have to explain yeah, there's why nothing more to Fox say. in this movie is sexy. He's funny. He's angry. He's smart in his own way. He's He definitely anticipates the way that other people will behave and, and uh, in a way that I find kind of like charming and rakish. And uh, he looks really mm-hmm. good in that red leather getup. Yeah, it's a cool outfit, man. It's a very cool <laughs> outfit. Can I just double check no votes for Kevin Spacey? No. Oh, God. No. <laughs> All right, Matt. So who who are you picking for the hottest character? Between John Hamm and um, I forgot her name now because now I'm just thinking of uh, Twin Peaks. Darling. Kelly James. Lily James. Lily James. Lily James or John Hamm? Um, someday I'm going to put a super cut together of all of Matt mispronouncing or saying people's names incorrectly because 
it would be very long. That's not true, Jebediah. I mean, Joshua. it's pretty. It's pretty astounding. <laughs> Jebediah, <laughs> I really likes the Jebediah joke. <laughs> so, uh, you're picking Lily James. I think she is one of the. Her character seems like it's not the cartoon to me, or I'm just like tricked by the movie because I, I want to be in love with her too when I watch it like baby or something but I felt like she was less cartoonish yeah I think that's that's really cute Matt she's definitely a cartoon <laughs> how dare you we love each other she definitely has some very cartoonish moments but I, I think I see where you're coming from I think she's less cartoony than most of the characters but she definitely has some. I have when we talk about the song I have something I have something on this list I think so um Hottest, I think that the main reason I was asking the question is just because I think that it's it's something that the movie is is doing very well. That it's just such a good looking cast. Everybody is very attractive. Um, and I thought that there's an Asian actor, Lanny June, and I don't know him. Um, apparently, oh, the guy who has the hat tattoo that's been turned yes, the hate tattoo yeah, that's yes. been turned into the hat tattoo. Yeah, he's great too. He's so good looking, and I and 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 then he spoiler he gets killed, and um. I, I thought that part of the reason I was sad that he was killed because he's a criminal and he's a bad guy. So why do I care? He was wanted just to because keep he was so, at him. He was so darn handsome. <laughs> he also, the other guy also shows up next to Flea and I love Flea, but Flea looks insane. Flea looks pretty awesome. <laughs> I feel like that helped. I feel like that helped the other guy's handsomeness just in reflection. This movie is doing a really good job with this. When I saw it the first time, I definitely thought uh darling was astoundingly good looking um this time i think i was more distracted by uh jamie fox i mean he's he i think it's jamie fox is just on fire in this movie and and hot and and performance and normally normally i'm a i'm a pretty big john bernthal fan and i think he's a very handsome dude but uh he this movie much not so much john bernthal has a busted face he's a oh face. wow i don't know if i agree with that but i'm also not uh he always looks like a, a boxer. straight woman so he takes off his shirt and you're like oh it's hot in here <laughs> I had the same problem, Heather. I was kind of overwhelmed by all these songs and how intertwined they were in the movie. And I went with Let's Go Away for a While by the Beach Boys off Pet Sounds. And it's the scene when Baby first sees Lily James's character, Deborah, walking, I think, past the diner window. And it turns out she's the waitress there. And it's this beautiful um, instrumental. And it's meant to show his you know, the magical feeling of, of young love. I singled it out because a lot of the songs are like, what can you drive to? What can you rob banks to? Mm. What can you dance down the street to? And this was just kind of what's a nice little twinkling segue to or a, a little beautiful way to introduce a character. And, you know, nothing really needs to be said more about Pet Sounds. We've spent the past <laughs> 20, yeah. 25 years rediscovering it. If you think the rediscoveries are over, my wife was playing it in the car and now... Literally two weeks ago, it's also probably why I picked it. My five-year-old daughter is obsessed with it and keeps asking me to play it because it just sounds great to kids. Then adults can, you know, take it apart. That song, but then that I song was, in particular or the album? The whole oh, album. Okay. And she'll like be humming like, I just wasn't made for these times. She thinks Sloop John B is um, hilarious because he says, this is the worst trip I've ever been on. And she thinks it's just so funny because she likes to be dramatic and like hate things and want to go home. And this is the worst. And I never realized the, 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 all the lyrics are like that. Anyway, um, I just thought that was a nice moment. And I felt, back to our thing about all the characters being two-dimensional and cartoonish. And I know Heather's already not going to agree because we went over this. But I bought the Young Love, maybe because it was so steeped in music and they're both cute. But I totally bought the Young Love of Lily James and Ansel, El uh, Baby, and Deborah. 
and their whole courtship. And when they go to the um, to do laundry together and they're looking into each other's eyes, I was like, I'm feeling things for the first time in this movie. The rest of the movie, I'm just like watching it, rolling my eyes. Dead mom, one last job, guy who murders people, threatening everybody, even his sweet... Um, Deaf foster dad didn't do it for you? Deaf foster dad, that, that whole scene looked like a sitcom. The set looks like a sitcom to me. I do it feels not like a sitcom. understand that. that yeah, the set looks weird his makeup is insane i looked i his makeup's insane <laughs> they shoot him in this strange way i looked up the actor because i was like is this like a 35 year old man that they've dressed up because why does he look like this his, <laughs> and like it's i love such an off part I, of the movie for me because it every time i'm looking at him i'm taken out of the movie and it's not his fault i think yeah. it's the director i'm like why did you why does he look like this like i don't know it feels like a sitcom to me yeah it's weird anyway anyway so that's why I picked that song. It made me feel something. I love how it kind of is like elevated elevator music. Mm. Oh, that that's yeah. nice. Yeah, I get that. I can hear that. And I looked it up and Brian Wilson said Burt Bacharach really inspired it. Um, and then, strangely enough, the working title was like The Old Man and the Baby or something. Yep, The Old Man and the Baby. And I was like, is that one of those weird Tarantino deep cuts or he just got lucky with I, that? I know. I, I bet you it is because he's put so much thought into these songs and baby is a name in so many different songs. And there's so many interconnecting things in this movie. Remember, he spent 22 years, That's Matt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, just just to give a sense of like how deep he goes with some of that. I don't know. Did you all catch the uh, rap star crossovers in this? No. I wasn't, if you were watching it, Heather, with, no. you said you had like the, uh, be, the pop-up, uh, video thing going on. I did have the pop-up video, uh, mode on. I wasn't sure if it told you, you told you this. So, so there's a scene where baby goes to dinner with, with Deborah at Bacchanalia and they go to dinner and, uh, <laughs> yes, at Bac yes. And, and Kevin Spacey buys their dinner. He wants to get baby to do one last job with him, right? The classic sort of thing. And, um, he buys their dinner and he wants to go talk to him and he's talking to two men who are not prominently featured at all. They, there's no close up on them. There's no real way. I think that anybody would recognize them except I happened to see them listed and went back and was like, wait a minute, where are those guys? That's big boy and killer Mike. What? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Oh, yeah. you're yeah. That's who he's talking right. to there, and they're that's awesome. they're both. Um, that's great. They they both perform a so in one of the only original songs on the soundtrack. As Wait, well. are they part of that Kid Koala song? Um, I'd have to look up which one it is. It might be that one. There's only two or three original songs on the soundtrack. Kid Koala is the stand-in for Baby's like music making, right? But other connections, um, you know the the. In terms of like how thought out the musical connections are here, the when they're going to buy the weapons um, from the people that Jamie Foxx accuses of being cops, the main guy who ex who who's listed in the credits as the butcher because he describes the weapons as cuts of meat. That uh, mm -hmm. Paul Williams is. Um, oh, he's a like a composer, of, isn't he? Well, he's done a bunch of stuff. John Williams? Um, no, Paul Williams is the is is. No, I think. Yeah, the composer you might be thinking of might be John Williams, but Paul oh, Williams. You're thinking of John Williams. Paul Williams has done a ton of movie music. Um, he did music for Ishtar, the Muppet movies. Oh, guys, I watched Ishtar. Originally. I know you did. I'm on Team Ishtar. I love it. Elaine May rules. Uh, he he wrote the theme song to Love Boat. He did music to Star Is Born with Barbara Streisand. I mean, if you look up his IMDb of music, it's you know, hundreds of things long. There's a documentary on him I watched a couple years ago. It's very interesting. He's probably most famous in movies for having played um, one of the guys in uh, Smokey and the Bandit, huh. um, who hires the Bandit to drive across country to go pick them up some Coors Light for their party. Oh and he's one of those guys. I have to watch that again. And so anyway, he's he's a deep, deep cut in terms of, you know, uh, decades of of being in movies, of writing for mu music for movies, uh, being a you know, music supervisor, lots of stuff. And then another one of those cuts that I thought was interesting is that um, there's some jokes about Barbara Streisand that involve Jamie Foxx. Jamie Foxx is sort of disgusted that they're mentioning Barbara Streisand. And that movie came out right around the time that Barbara Streisand put out an album where she did songs with different celebrities and different singers. And one of the songs she did with Jamie Foxx. Really? 
Yeah, so it's a f- kind of mm. funny in that scene when he's like disgusted by Barbara Streisand. That's there's like a joke oh, there because he's like yeah. he's a singer and he sung with Barbara Streisand and they're I guess friends. If Barbara Streisand is somebody who has friends, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> and that's why he's delivering that line with such relish. So all that to he say, commits. this movie is going deep, deep, deep in terms of having connections upon connections upon connections. Big Boy and Killer Mike also is because the movie takes place in Atlanta. In Atlanta, yeah. Yeah, right. I'm bagging a bag and I'm backing up and I'm back off. That's why I'm out of here, baby. Before these cops put me down in the ground, baby. I'm running west and I'm out of this town, baby. You want your money back? Chase me. Chase me. If you haven't seen the movie by some chance, the, the, the thing is that he's, he's, the driver has actually timed his drive to the song. He waits until the bank robbery happens to start the song. So the idea is that this kid isn't just randomly playing music. He's actually planned out, here's the song that's going to play when I do this. And so later in the movie, John Hamm gets interested in this and, and he, he keeps referring to it as what's your killer track he claims that when he was mm-hmm. a getaway driver he mm-hmm. also had a killer track his was queen um brighton rock maybe i don't i'm blanking on which song it was yeah yeah it was. um yeah. so i'm wondering for you guys if you're the getaway driver do you have a killer track i think you guys know this already that i don't know how to drive cars okay well you could be on a bike oh. I didn't. I didn't know this. Yeah. No, no. You can be the getaway driver <laughs> yeah. without knowing how to drive. I want to watch that movie. That's that's true. <laughs> uh, so I don't think that I have the same relationship to like that that American idea of like the freedom of being behind the wheel and like cranking up the music. <laughs> but I do think that I have a very strong understanding as the always the passenger of like how important it is to make sure that the driver has the music they need. Mm, that's, that's wonderful. That's very, very good of you. <laughs> so that's some real shotgun. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I think that like my killer track would be the one I'd want to be in riding shotgun for not the one I'd want to be driving for. Okay. All right. I like, I, right. I, I what like is it. What is I it? I like it. Let's hear it. I think it would be Barracuda by heart. Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> hey, as somebody who might be the driver in that situation, that's a good one. Barracuda is a real good driving song. So I was, I was thinking of this and I was like, oh, if I was really needed to get away, would I want a calming song that would just like keep me chill and be like, everything's all right. You're not going to. Crash into that fire truck or whatever. <laughs> no, you would have already taken your Klonopin if you were going to do your job. Or would I just want to be psyched up? And then I was like, what song just gets me amped and wants to hit the pedal and tear the hell out of there? And it turns out it's Decepticon by La Tigra. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's <laughs> so time- Hey, hey, we're, <laughs> we're, we're smashing at the cops here. There's nothing sweet about it. And it showed up on a running mix one time, and I was dying, and then it came on and it gave me this <laughs> new energy. And it's randomly in a Joachim Trier song, uh, movie on that soundtrack from 2006 called Reprise. Mm. You ever see that movie about writers in Norway? And they throw it on to get a party going, and it works. And I, I remember just liking that movie because of that moment, and I was like, oh yeah, that song is great. Why isn't it in more movies? So that's my... Awesome, cool choice that Heather thinks is adorable and cute, which I will not stand for. <laughs> Put that song next time on Blast It, next time you're in a car, Joshua, and I swear to God, you'll drive right through your house. <laughs> you just go, you just go I'm actually not, I, I, I don't need to drive very fast. I'm a pretty Sunday driver. I, I'm, I used to drive a van. That was my favorite car. You just kind of putt, with putt along and, you know, let other people run into you. Fine, whatever. All right, but what's your song if there's like well, you know, two million really dollars have... of gold bricks in the if back the of the van? the pressure is on. There's so many songs I love that I think are super cool and all, but I just was thinking about it, I think sort of just in the sense of like, I want something that keeps going, you know, and that, that, the, that the action gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so mm-hmm. this is a total basic answer, but I'm going to say Freebird. 
<laughs> what? The song goes crazy. The last three minutes of that song, it's yeah. like, here's another guitar and another guitar. And now the drums do this. And now the singer yeah. comes. I mean, it's just like, by the end of that, I'd be, you know, driving to the moon. I don't know. I'd, it just feels like that's that... a song that just does not quit. And so it's going to inspire me yeah. to also just, you know not quit i kind of like that it, that song's become such a cliche that if you can actually sure. get to a place to get into it you remember why it became such a american anthem i will tell you how to get there smoke weed <laughs> <laughs> you know those video those those reaction videos that people do on youtube yeah oh and if they've never heard it before yeah yeah there's yeah, yeah. one for that song and it the dude um, doesn't know anything about this song. He doesn't even know. He doesn't know Leonard Skinner. Are. He knows nothing. But he's been doing this for a while, and people keep telling him, "You got to do this song. You got to do this song." So finally, he's like, "All right, let's do it." And he, just to watch somebody hear it for the first time gives you the experience. That's great of hearing it and realizing what same. it's doing. And I definitely would not be picking it right now if it wasn't for that. Because man, you know, I mean, who's who's like trying to hear Freebird again, really? But um. Watching him listen to it reminded me that it's 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 a thing, man. Yeah. It's really doing some stuff, and and I highly recommend. I don't remember who the guy is. It wouldn't be hard to find. But you watch him enjoy it. His you're watching somebody's mind truly blow off their neck. I mean, he is getting blown and away. It's amazing. If you robbed a bank and the cops are chasing you, that would decontextualize all the bullshit well, around that true. song, and you just be <laughs> it would just be you in that song, and you can get. That's the other way to get there again, yeah. Joshua. There's a lot of songs that we're not going to be able to get to on this, obviously. And, you know, by limiting ourselves to each picking one, we've definitely limited that even more. But even if we did nothing but try to talk about all these songs, we wouldn't get there. I mean, there's big, big names that we're not going to say much about, you know, like songs that you might expect um, in a movie like this. Martha and the Vandals, Nowhere to Run. It seems like kind of an obvious pick, right? Um, Radar Love. Yeah, Radar Love. Sure. Good one. Um, you know, you've got Queen. Which easy is, like Sunday Morning, I thought was an obvious great. pick. Oh, Easy, which appears twice because it's it's there's a cover of it as yeah. well. That's why I'm easy. I'm easy like Sunday morning. That's why I'm easy. Um, by the yep. Commodores. So, like, there are so many. There's a Blur song. Uh, there's a Barry White song. There's a Simon and Garfunkel oh, yeah, song, which the movie is named after the Simon and Garfunkel song. They call me Baby Driver. So, there's so much good music in it. There's a car chase scene to a damned song called Neat, Neat, Neat that is fantastic. That's a great pick. It's such a great scene. And what's great the song. reason that Flea uh, joined joined in? Oh, really? Actually. When, yeah, when, uh, when Edgar Wright was shopping for his actors after his 22 years in the desert, um, he... He sent them all the script with uh, a little thumb drive of music, and the script indicated to them when they were supposed to be listening to each each part of the. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, and when Flea uh, found out about the Damned, he he was like, "I'm in, I'm doing it." Yeah, I love well, it. it's great, and it's a it's it's used well. It's great. One of um, I'm a my choice is is not this, but one of the ones that I'm a huge fan of is uh, that entire Beck album, Midnight Vultures. Uh, that uh, Deb the song Deborah is on. Really great album. I was a huge fan of that when it came out. Um, in my my part of the world, which was at that point in Dallas, Texas, in my cruise, that album was on at every party. Um, 
Yeah, and, I had a similar experience yeah. with that. In so that's a great song. There's, a, you know, another band that I'll just mention here, or I don't even know what to call them. Um, there's a band called the Cashmere Stage Band that plays at one point. And I just want to mention it because it's something that I feel like people should know about. I didn't know about it, and I looked it up. They're a um, high school band from Houston. What? That this, yeah, that this guy, um, like literally like the, the high school's band, like the actual band from the high school. And this, this, this musical director at this high school, uh, like I think in the late 60s, I can't remember what show he went to. He went to some rock show and was just like, you know what? What if we did that in our band? And then they basically went on like a 20-year run of of being unbeatable at band competitions. Um, they put out four or five albums. Apparently, they got rediscovered a couple years ago. And they, there's a documentary about them that Jamie Foxx narrated. Wait, what, uh, really? what is this called? band called again? They're Cashmere? called the Cashmere Stage Band. I will definitely be looking that up. Yeah, I'm super interested. I went to the Wikipedia and read all about them, and I want to see this doc now. They, it sounds like an amazing story, and so I don't really have much to add about it other than just to say, hey, check it out. Nothing can bring me to tears faster than a marching band. Uh, they're not a marching band. They're a performing <laughs> band. I think they're like a horns-based performing band. Tears of like, you want to kill yourself? No, just like tears of joy. I'm just moved oh, really? moved by a marching band. Oh my God. I, I don't understand that at all, but I love that about you now. <laughs> but but yeah, the song that I'm going to pick though is the the, the thing that, that when I sat in the theater, the reason I was immediately in love with this movie was because uh, John Spencer Blues Explosion, Bell Bottoms. It's a it's an incredible song, like a standalone incredible song. It was an incredible song before this movie. You know, if this movie never existed, it would be an incredible song. This movie does it as much justice as a movie can do a song. I'm uh don't want to get to spoilers over whether or not this is the perfect movie soundtrack, but I will say for the seven minutes or whatever of this song, it is the perfect movie soundtrack. It is the, the the choices of directing, the the way the car chase works, the technical aspect of the song meeting up with the car, and the song itself with all the weird parts that it has, and the, the it's it's fantastic filmmaking to one of my favorite songs and a band that I've been been in love with for a long time. So it's an easy pick for me. Um, because it's it's really the thing that had me, you know, want to jump out of my seat when I first saw it in the movie theater the first time. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. For me, that specific song and album, it's off the album Orange. Uh, when I was in high school, 14 or 15, my car broke down. I got a ride to high school and my friend who gave me a ride was like, oh, do you know this band? And I had no idea who it was. And I was like, holy shit. And that was my gateway. That album yeah. was my bridge from being like, okay, I'm going to leave mainstream MTV rock now. And see what this Matador business, yeah. this Matador record label, which they were on, is about. And then that actually was my gateway drug to indie rock and better music. Because I just couldn't believe um, what a strange, interesting band that was. And I just want to add, the fun of having that in a movie is I never, for the life of me, ever thought that song would be in no, a movie. it seems impossible. And it was really nice to see such a weird, strange song, the the strange talking in the beginning, the orchestra stuff the the weird driving blues thing that comes after to actually see that dramatized in a yeah. major film is such a delight because i would have never thought that that would ever happen i just thought that would just be a weird band that you talk about with older friends you know, and then it that's also it. really sucks you into the world of this movie instantly. yes i also think it sets the bar a little too high for the movie because that's true it's probably the i best think right. it, like really neat, neat neat by the damned i think you're running on fumes from that scene for the rest of the movie and then i think he can't top a pick like that he has a few good picks but then it just makes all the picks seem a little too obvious to me at times because you're like wow if you're gonna go with these deep cool cuts 
keep him coming. And it feels like he doesn't have any of those like back pocket moves that you're hoping will come through in the climax for me personally. In a lot of the later scenes, he tries uh, different things though. Like he he starts doing um this the syncopated uh, gunfire to the to the song, so that people are shooting to the beats of yeah. the song. So he's kind of going for a different thing. It's not really the same the whole way through. But yeah, I mean, I'm just this talking is clearly about like, like the set piece. This is cool. Cuts. This is like why he made the movie. I mean, obviously he loves the whole thing. I'm sure. Um, but it's very clear that it's like this was his. You know. Apes at the beginning of 2001 or the cavemen or whatever they are. Um, I saw them on that orange tour open for they were the first of three bands and the other two bands um they got booed by the way uh because here's this three-piece rock band on stage and the singer dude is pretending like he's like some like dirty version of elvis like he's like doing this yeah. whole routine and he's playing a, ther- like a bad he's, elvis impersonator yeah, he's playing a better. theremin which you know people weren't really that into and uh they're opening for well the headliner was the beastie boys which is why they're opening because the beastie boys obviously are big fans they're also new york city Uh people so that makes sense and then the second band was roots that's a pretty good lineup yeah Yeah. that's a good show and 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 they were booing and they were getting booed and i was very mad at the people around me who were booing because i just thought what simps you are you came all you care about is sabotage (laughs) you don't realize the art happening in front of you right now (laughs) (laughs) bell bottoms bell bottoms bell bottoms bell bottoms bell bottoms Baby Driver is not just a successful soundtrack. It was a hugely successful movie. It made over $200 million. Edgar Wright's biggest hit by far. In a world where, you know, IPs make all the money, this was, a you know, an original film that was a big, big hit. And that's rare. So, you know, it's, it's successful. It worked. Uh, do you remember the hype when this came out? People, I remember one of the reasons I think I later enjoyed this movie watching it again more, because when it came out, I don't know if you remember, people were like, this is the best movie of the year. I haven't been this excited about a movie in 10 years. And just, I just kept hearing wild, crazy things about this. Critics were going nuts. People were loving it. And then I saw it and I was like, oh, that's fun. And I f- feel like seeing it now later, I was able to enjoy it more because it wasn't surrounded by, is this the cool best? Because it just did a lot of things I already have seen movies do, but does them well and it's fun. But how do you guys feel? Do you feel it deserved that kind of hype? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 a very successful movie. I mean, some of the stuff that I was complaining about that I thought was kind of cheesy, like the Batman level origin story, I'm not going to divorce that from the fact it made $200 million. Like, people like that stuff, you know? I mean, it's it worked. And, and you know, even when I was trying to be cynical I mean, about certain parts that I thought were a little bit too much like a musical, two minutes later, I'd find myself chuckling and, like, totally won over by it. I find that the movie's very charming. Yeah, but Marvel movies make $200 million and you hate them. They're not charming. (laughs) I thought you were trimming that as a positive. (laughs) This movie is definitely charming. I don't think it's like as good as I might say something like Ocean's Eleven is. Oh, good Lord, no. Nice nice to throw that that out there. I think that's a really great point. But it's charming in the same way. Yes. It's it's not a category shift of charm. They're in the same zone of what they understand charm to be and how they pull it off. And you know what's fun about both those movies? They're movie star movies. Mm-hmm. They're like, yep. look, these are movie stars. Here's Jamie yes. Foxx being a movie star. Everybody's Here's having fun. George Clooney and Brad Pitt being a movie star. And sometimes it's fun just to see a big, funny movie star movie that there aren't are superheroes. That re- there are also movies that rely on the chemistry between the actors quite a bit. And and both both of them really do have yes. it. I think that's part of why we find uh, Baby and Deborah so compelling. And like Matt, why you're able to say when they meet even the like starry eyed sort of meet cute moment is, is like actually kind of emotionally affecting. They really, they really do have chemistry. Yes. I knew it. That was the only relationship. I was like, I feel this one, not the, not the foster dad. I mean, I felt the relationship between me and Jamie Foxx.
Um, are we here? Are we at the question? Yes. All right. So let's do it. Was this the perfect movie soundtrack? Which means uh, everybody knows what it means by now. <laughs> or was one aspect better than the other? The movie or the soundtrack? I think yes. that this was the perfect movie soundtrack. Ding, 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 what ding, is ding, going ding, on ding, here? Uh, it was I, only a couple episodes ago that Heather was saying we would never find one. I'm amazed. Yeah, here's what I think. Make the case, make the case. Here's what I think. I do not t- particularly enjoy this soundtrack. I would never take its 15 volumes of 700 songs <laughs> and listen to them as an album the way that many other soundtracks I would happily do that with. Uh, I just really respect the full integration of of the music and the filmmaking. It may have taken dude 22 years to pull it off and think about it and overwork it, but he's really uh he's really invested in these two things being of a piece, being totally synthesized, relying entirely on each other. And the fact that I can't talk myself out of that kind of has made me wonder if I really am looking for a movie and a soundtrack that are a perfect marriage where one plus one equals three or not, like maybe I'm not Mm. because I don't actually, I wouldn't want to watch this movie over and over and over. I wouldn't want to listen to this soundtrack over and over and over, but together, like, yeah, they work together really, really well. So much so that the songs can't, I can't pull them apart or think about them individually or care much about them because they, they've just all been like, you know, synthesized into this one big soup of a, of an experience of, of viewing. That's, that's a, you know, you're kind of selling me a little bit. Basically it's perfect and I hate it because it's perfect. <laughs> there we go. Bringing it all back. Do you agree, Matt? Um, no, I think when you create a movie, that's, the soundtrack as the movie that soundtrack has to operate on the level of the opening John Spencer blues explosion track, like what you were saying. And I feel like if this is going to be the defining feature of your movie, you have to give a master class deep dive and you have to make people remember songs they had forgotten about like songs that they they weren't sure if they liked or not. Maybe introduce them. You have to professor that yeah, shit. Introduce up. them to new songs. <laughs> all that. And the other thing that you have to do, which I notice is the secret to a lot of modern needle drops, and now it, it's overdone in TV shows, is you have to like juxtapose the use of the song against what's happening in the film. Where I feel like the most famous masterful version is Bobby Vinton's Blue Velvet in 1986 with like, um, what's his name? We were just talking about David Lynch. Everyone always says Scorsese is the master of it, but Lynch does it. And he does it kind of with um, John Spencer Blues Explosion. But I feel like the context of the songs kind of were the same. It wasn't any like really crazy choices that were exciting. Wasn't a song I heard that I was like, oh, yeah, do I kind of know that song? What is that? And like had to look it up and listen to it. So I feel like he's close with the whole project, like Heather's saying, but I wanted better better soundtrack moves themselves interesting all right well i mean i guess if you owned the vinyl of focus then maybe these songs (laughs) these songs weren't that surprising to you yeah bring it you want to show me a soundtrack (laughs) you're gonna have to do better than hocus pocus by focus i i i i'm very convinced by heather's argument i'm not ready to say it's the perfect movie soundtrack but boy it's it's somewhere it's somewhere in the in in the competition for me i mean it's it's a musical i think it's as close to an as in my opinion as close to a musical as a non-musical movie can get and in that way it's pretty perfect at being a non-musical musical uh i think it 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 synthesizes music and movie as well as well as i could ask um you know i don't love every scene and i don't love every usage of it i'm not crazy about the gunshots being done to music i it's a fun idea it's it's neat he does a really good job timing it and all but um you know i don't love it as much as the car chase scenes so you know it's not going to mm-hmm. be all the way there for me but if there's a spectrum it's definitely way down on the end 
somewhere near perfect movie soundtrack. It's it's a fantastic movie soundtrack. It is the best movie soundtrack to feature a band's use of efing. <laughs> I really, I really do think you guys should uh, take <laughs> oh. take seven and a half minutes to listen to that song. I'm gonna to take seven and a half w- minutes to watch Hee Haw on YouTube, <laughs> like I would any Dude, other night. Hee Haw is great. You can't. <laughs> You can't deny there's some moments of hee-haw. Oh, there. sure. Yeah. Worth it. Yeah. Um, hee-haw. My, my parents living in New Jersey thought hee-haw was hilarious. It transcends cultural boundaries. They loved it. There's also a hee-haw character named Junior Samples, just so. It's a great really name. want to know, like, how real they were about getting. Speaking of the last name Samples, <laughs> when you find out that baby's real last name is Miles, or no, first name <laughs> is, is Miles. Miles. <laughs> yeah. And you're just like another overworked line because he drives miles. Yes, I agree. That was that was an eye roll. His name could also have been Samples. It could have been. Because he samples music. It's true. I think it should have been I think his name should have been Catalytic Converter. <laughs> <laughs> Heather, I believe you have the next pick. And, uh, you know, your previous picks have been very popular. Romeo and Juliet and Pretty in Pink have been the ones we've heard from a lot of people about. And so, uh, you know, you're batting a thousand. Let's see if you'll keep it up. Mm. Well. Big, yeah, that was. That was a that's hard. Big build up here. <laughs> here's, here's the thing, you guys. I think that I really want to understand how some movies and some soundtracks have been really important to some people even if i was not among those people which is the exact opposite of my approach with pretty in pink i was like pretty in pink is the movie and the soundtrack i know the most about and have been most emotionally affected by in my own viewing life but there are other people out there for whom other movies and other soundtracks have had that same role what are those movies and soundtracks Hmm. And I th- and I think if you think about it, not even more than a couple of minutes, you come up with Babyface's masterwork, waiting to exhale. Oh yeah. wow, we're going there. We are going there. Okay, waiting to exhale was That's a huge one. A block motherfucking buster of a For soundtrack sure. and a movie. That was based on a block motherfucking buster of a book that meant the world to a lot of black women. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anything about it. So this is a lot going to be a lot of research for me. Uh, but I, I, think it's, I think it's worth it to figure out what was going on in that moment when they were listening to and watching Waiting to Exhale, directed by... Forest yeah. Whitaker. That's awesome. Oh, I forgot. I'm so did curious that. about this too because oh, every time I pick, uh, I peek online of all these best sound movie soundtrack lists, that's always toward the top. And I always chalked it up to oh, like, yeah. it's a you huge, know, huge, huge soundtrack. Moms like this movie and soundtrack because I was n- not feeling the trailer, I guess. And then I'm like, what did I miss here? Because this keeps coming up. People talk about it with like great respect and classic. And yeah, I was but like, you I need to know. You weren't the target audience. I know, which is which, which is, is why okay. I'm I'm curious yeah. about it. I've watched a lot of non-target yeah. audience movies. I'll have you know. Uh, I I think it would be hard <laughs> to find a movie where you were even less the target audience than this. I mean, this this is you're really, and I'm speaking for myself too, and not the target audience. Nor was I. I think as white people, we we were never intended to be well, the target audience here, and and certainly as men, neither of you were. Sure. So. I think we're going to go for it. I think we're going to try to understand uh, why this movie and this soundtrack meant so much. Well, to I've so never many. seen it. So I've also never seen me. it. I've never read it. I've never seen it. I am extremely tempted to listen to the audiobook and like do a book to film little oh, little wow. version wow. of it as well. Um, That's our other podcast. So adapted movies. So anyway, get ready. Yeah. Next up. Okay. Cool. Okay. It's exciting. We'll be waiting to exhale. 
All America has fallen in love with the female dream team. You look so beautiful. What are you waiting for? Ooh, give me some! Whitney Houston is dynamite. Some of us are still on that dream trip, girl. Angela Bassett gives an Oscar-caliber performance. I haven't seen anything as splendid as you. Waiting to exhale will take your breath away. I close my eyes and I exhale. Waiting to exhale. Have you exhaled yet? Rated R. Now playing. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. Give us a shout at TPMS Podcast on Twitter or Instagram. We got some fun ideas in the works, special episodes, and some fun ways that you could have an influence on some of what we talk about on the show. Of course, we appreciate reviews and ratings wherever it is you get your podcast. And more than anything else, we hope you tell your friends about us. For Matt and Heather, this is Joshua, and we'll see you in two weeks with another episode of The Perfect Movie Soundtrack. <laughs>